Welcome to Learning Otherwise. I'm Udi Mandel. Learning Otherwise makes Audible a silent learning revolution happening all around the world, offering stories and tools of hope, imagination and possibility in a time of multiple crises. What might learning look like if you were at the service of our diverse ecologies, cultures, economies, spiritualities and life in our planetary home? Learning otherwise is a journey to explore this question. Through conversations with leading practitioners and thinkers, reimagining learning and education, this series will make audible the silent revolution happening all around the world in higher education and beyond. These conversations take us to experiments in learning that are emerging from indigenous communities, social and ecological movements, and other sites of innovation, including universities, colleges and schools. This series is created through the Ecoversities Alliance, a translocal community of over 100 transformative learning spaces from around the world who have been meeting and collaborating since 2015. This community of learning practitioners is committed to reimagining higher education to cultivate human and ecological flourishing in response to the critical challenges of our times. Today's episode is an offering from the archives. It is part of a series of conversations in the Enlivened Learning Project, which took place between 2012 and 2013, and was one of the forerunners igniting the Ecoversities Alliance. Enlivened Learning has also resulted in a series of films on transformative places of higher education. In this podcast, we talk to Manish Jain, one of the strong planetary voices for de-schooling our lives and also one of the co-founders of the Ecoversities Alliance. Manish has served for the past 20 years as coordinator and co-founder of Shikshanta, the People's Institute for Rethinking Education and Development, based in Udaipur, India. He's also co-founder of Swaraj University, which is now in its 10th year and has seen around 150 learners go through its programme. We visit Swaraj University as part of the Enlivened Learning Journey. Manish is also co-founder of the Learning Society's Unconference, Udaipur as a Learning City, and the Jayo University in Udaipur. Manish is a featured speaker, advisory member of the Economics of Happiness Network for Localization. He has edited several books on a theme such as Learning Societies, Unlearning, Gift Culture, Community Media, and tools for deep dialogue. Prior to this, Manish worked as one of the principal team members of the UNESCO Learning Without Frontiers Global Initiative. He has also been a consultant to UNICEF, World Bank and USAID in Africa, South Asia and the former Soviet Union. Manish also worked as an investment banker with Morgan Stanley. He and his wife Vidi 
have been unschooling themselves with their 15-year-old daughter, Kanku, in Udaipur, Rajasthan. In this conversation, Manish talks about his work with Swaraj University. We learn about the meaning of the concept and practice of Swaraj, or self-rule, and its deep roots in Indian thought and history. Embodying Gandhi's call for decolonization and independence, Manish here discusses the need to deepen this struggle into the realm of higher education and its forms of knowledge, and also to rid ourselves from the diploma disease, as he calls it. This in turn allows for other ways of learning, knowing and being to emerge that are rooted in place and which also better prepare us for the multiple crises we face today. This interview took place in Udaipur in 2013 as Kelly Timi and myself visited Swaraj University. We sat with Manisha on a rooftop overlooking the city as the sun was setting. The questions Kelly and myself asked were not recorded in this conversation other than the occasion intervention. So, my name is Manish Jain. I'm one of the co-founders of Swaraj University. Um, my own journey is, uh, I didn't describe it as the uh, intersection of um, major centers of power in the world and my illiterate grandmother on the other side. And uh, major centers I've spent uh, the last maybe uh, 20 years of my own life uh, in a very deep process of unlearning decolonizing myself, deconditioning myself. And uh, so part of the journey was with uh, major institutions, Wall Street and uh, Harvard and uh, the UN, World Bank, and uh, really going into those journeys, those institutions with a deep desire to, to serve humanity and serve the planet and finding myself deeply disillusioned with those and even deeply questioning what the real agenda of those institutions were. Uh, and what gave me the courage to um, go from my unlearning journey and not fall into total despair was my illiterate grandmother who opened my eyes to a whole different set of possibilities and realities and different knowledge systems, a different cosmology, different way of, of being in the world, uh, which, I, which I did not find uh, institutions and things and so um, Swaraj University was kind of born with this sense of that uh, there is a bigger movement that is happening on the planet uh, people who are questioning this kind of larger narrative of domination and control and competition um, and uh, there is uh, what we wanted to do was we felt that uh, the our, our models of higher education are nowhere to be seen really in the heart of this debate. What is really development all about? The, the, 
around the world we can see the whole facade uh, was constructed uh, that this is what a developed society is and how it should look and how it should feel that's all collapsing in front of us and uh, it's a ripe time lots of things are bubbling up, all at the margins lots of the people who are living in in places where you know um, villages or slum areas or this is where they're constructing a different kind of knowledge and understanding of how to be in the world and so what we are trying to do is really uh, create a process where uh, we can learn with those people and we can um, also reclaim our own faith and our own learning from uh, big institutions who are telling us all the time that we're not capable of learning so that's what the essence of why we started Swaraj. Swaraj has a really rich history. The first time I came across the term was uh, Gandhi had written a pamphlet called Hind Swaraj in 1909 and it was his actually manifesto on really what is the essence of the freedom struggle. And um, in that, uh, interesting is the Swaraj has uh, two dimensions to it which are really important to understand. It's, it's uh, questioning this entire process of institutionalization that has happened in, in the, in the uh, 19th and 20th centuries and uh, continues to happen in the 21st century. And it's all, uh, um, the meaning of Swaraj is, uh, Swa literally means uh, uh, self, and it's referencing both our individual self and our collective self, uh, our interdependent self, uh, and Raj, which is mastery over, rule over. So in one sense, it has a very deeply um, I mean, uh, political meaning to it, and it also has a very deeply spiritual meaning to it. And so um, Gandhi was writing at, at that time that um, really he was trying to clarify that the, the meaning of the freedom struggle isn't about getting rid of the British, but it actually to create a, um, a, a set of systems which will actually um, really support uh, the deeper goodness and deeper potential uh, within human beings and, and create a set of systems which are in deep harmony with our with the natural and the spiritual worlds. So we think that that um, after uh, so-called independence of India that uh, that agenda kind of disappeared and we think that it's time to again uh, raise that uh, the fundamental questions around what is progress, what is development and uh, how people can uh, um, reclaim their sense of self, their sense of community. Uh, so that's what Swaraj is really about. And what is this, I mean, my own personal question also is, what does Swaraj really mean in my own life? So that's the kind of ongoing living exploration and experiment to try to really understand that. And, and how, uh, there's a Indian um, saint who was a spiritual successor to um, Gandhi and uh, Vinoba Bhave was his name and so he said something really beautiful once he said I would like to explore how to live a life where I'm not being exploited and where I'm not exploiting anyone else so I think that is part of the, the struggle of what kind of life that can be so I think one thing about Swaraj is also um, it's important to know is that there's a the kind of disconnect from the self which which has happened modern industrial world and uh, the, in the self the disconnect uh, from our own inner voice or inner conscious so inner conscience so when we talk about institutionalization one of the ways I've thought about it is it's it's the subjugation of 
of, hum, of, human, of the human conscience to the will of institutions. And so what we are trying to do is um, the biggest institution that where it starts it is with our education system itself. The education system is, is subjects uh, students to what I call the, the five C's, uh, which is basically the competition, compulsion, uh, commodification of knowledge, uh, compartmentalization of knowledge and generations, and monoculture, basically, standardization. So um, this is what uh, children are, are put into in India, and what we're trying to do is, what we see as Swaraj is one space for, for healing ourselves from that uh, violence that's, that's going on against us as human beings and uh, in, in terms of our relationships with each other and relationships with nature. And um, the other thing is imagining beyond the current systems that, that are in place. And so what we are trying to do is actually explore that there are many other ways to organize ourselves as human beings and organize ourselves as communities and organize our resources or how we see our resources and things and what could those be. There's four, there basically there's four processes we're trying to explore very deeply in, in Swaraj. Um, uh, one we call unlearning, so really opening up the space of a lot of uh, assumptions we've had about ourselves, about um, nationalism, about industrial growth, about the money system, about who's educated and who's developed. Uh, so many different kinds of questions we want to put out. And uh, the second process is um, a set of processes around what we call co-learning. How do we really see learning as a as a uh, deep process of sharing our deepest, you know, our deepest, most profound gifts with each other. Um, third process is uh, really um, what we call the gift culture, reclaiming the gift culture. And that really is about um, how do we relate to each other uh, without being defined always by the money system, or how do we relate to each our futures in a way that isn't always defined by the money system and about being commodifying life around us um, and so how what kinds of new models of, of um, sharing resources or um, uh, living together that we can create um, through that is one of the explorations and fourth thing is what we call jugard thinking and jugard means kind of playful impro improvisation creativity so how these things uh, can, um, how we can, rather than waiting for experts or, you know, uh, super big technologies or um, huge uh, government grants or financial donation, fi well, uh, foreign donation grants, but what, whatever resources we have around us, whatever things and we have around us, how do we start making the the, the miracles that we need come true. Uh, so that's what Jugard thinking is really trying to focus on. We don't believe in certification. Um, doesn't mean that we don't believe in um, rigor and quality and feedback uh, and self-assessment. Those are all things that you know are really essential for people's learning process. But the idea of an institution certifying people or labeling them and at the same time uh, uh, discriminating against those who don't have that label, we're, we're totally against that. 
And um, what we think is that, um, you know, those people who actually need uh, certificates are those who aren't really sure what they know. And they need the piece of paper to keep reminding themselves and others that I actually have learned something, I know how to do something. And we find it actually all over our society that people who actually uh, don't have um, degrees or certificates uh, but have really um, access to deep experience and knowledge, they are valued in society and they are um, respected in our, in our society in India. Um, and what we think is that um, there's... Uh, it's it's not enough now to uh, just say that we are not going to give out certificates. Um, what we're trying to do is one hand is work with each person who's in the who's in Swaraj University to develop their own portfolios and really become much more thoughtful about the range of experiences that uh, that they're that they're gaining and what it means for each of them. At the same time, we've launched a campaign called Healing Ourselves from the Diploma Disease. And we are working with, uh, we have over 300 companies, organizations, uh, nonprofits, social movements who are saying that they're willing to hire somebody or give them a chance uh, without a degree. So we think that if we can build up, um, you know, this to larger numbers, a lot of interest of people, that actually people without a degree, it's not only for the people in Swaraj University, but people all over the country and all over the world can actually um, bring their experiences to for uh, and their commitment, personal commitment to what they want, what they'd like to you know work on in their lives, and those things will be great, uh, get uh, more cre uh, credence and more credibility rather than this piece of paper um, that's in there. And so it's quite an interesting. One of the things I'm talking with leaders in all different fields, they all are pretty much acknowledging that there's crap coming out of the universities and so and they, this degree doesn't really tell them anything about the person and so they are open to and we're trying to experiment with different ways to to help them see you know the real um, again experiences and values and um, um, initiatives that people have uh, in more meaningful ways um. One of the things we, I mean, this has been the biggest issue of all the places we've been visiting, is yeah. kind of what to do about certification yeah. and diplomas. So, I mean, this doesn't have to be necessarily part of this, but I guess I, was, I wanted to know what advice or what learning have you had around this to try and gain that kind of confidence around it, because I think this so seems the, to be the biggest struggle. The certification, and at least our society, has two primary roles one is to um, obviously it's a it's the first uh, key to get into the job market or get uh, some some kind of starting point uh, place to to get your feet wet after you get into it then nobody asks you your degree obviously and the other role that certifications play is for marriage purposes in India the first one is easier to crack and the second one is a little bit more difficult because uh, a lots of um, uh, fears that people, particularly parents have around what's going to happen in their future of their children and also I think there's kind of a this um, degree inflation that has gone on uh, where people have uh, they expect you know wanting to find uh, a match for their son or daughter with equivalent degrees so that makes it difficult for those who don't have degrees um, but um, 
I think the um, the issue is that once you know, once people, um, if they get into the door, which is what you know, basically good internship opportunities allow them to do. We've had a lot of people get job offers. So the, the marriage side also is what to talk about. I think and for that is really, I think there's a longer mission again to um, really open up this conversation with both youth and their parents about, you know, really what kinds of partners are they looking for. And uh, particularly, you know, there's a mix. Some people are very comfortable with finding their own partner and others are still wanting to go for, you know, um, arranged marriage kinds of situations. But in those conversations, of an, it's very interesting in those arranged marriage kinds of spaces how these kinds of conversations are entering into those and it really opens up a, a different question of what are the real kinds of qualities and values and relationships that we really are looking for rather than just uh, the degree. And also that, you know, people who are trying to walk on a different path, you know, really have to build that. Um, one of the things we're really trying to, I'm very proud of that we've done is a lot of people the traditional model is to um, be rebellious against your family, break the ties with your family, don't talk to them. But in Swaraj, a lot of the kids have healed their relationships with their fathers particularly. Um, and so I think this idea of um, really engaging the family in, in this kind of dialogue is something really exciting and rich. So I think uh, the other thing that we are, we have kind of declared ourselves as one of the um, first universities in India that is dedicated to localization. So we think localization, or there's a word in Hindi, Swadeshi, uh, which we means the, um, the um, commitment to regenerating our local culture, our local ecologies, and our local economies. So I think that's one of the, the really interesting parts of Swaraj, uh, where we find most universities around, in India and around the world are uh, predominantly geared towards globalization and so this is one element I think is very unique about what we're trying to do. Um, so the gift culture thing is we have tried to build this entire um, university on the principle of the gift culture. Um, so in that, uh, the first thing of, which deeply concerns us about um, uh, the direction the planet is going in has been the commodification of everything, uh, nature. So the interesting thing about Swaraj University is that we don't um, ask anybody for uh, any kind of prior degree to join either. So we have people who have maybe studied in other universities uh, joined and also we have people who have failed 10th grade three times or people who don't have any degree at all. So it's a kind of wide range of people that we accept and uh, um, so that was yeah. Real inter intellectual corruption starts with the commodification of, of everything, which is from you know our trees and our I mean our forests and our rivers and uh, also our grandmother's cookies and also uh, our knowledge systems. And so what we're trying to do is how do we, uh, bring all of that back into the gift culture. So a few different things that we um, believe in. One is that there's no fees that we've, we've charged for, for the learning process. Uh, 
people are invited to contribute what they are, what they can for their travel and food and stay costs. Um, that also is not uh, mandatory. Um, and if they can contribute more to help somebody else, they're invited to, to also do that. The other element which is really important in the gift culture is that we believe in copyleft. So there's the, the knowledge, the experiences that are being shared, produced are in the domain of copyleft. And really there's a lot of intense discussions, um, students who are creating different things, whether it's um, written pieces or films or uh, kind of technological innovations. Um, to, there's a lot of pressure from and advice from a lot of people outside that uh, they patent it or they copyright it and there's lots of intense discussions of why it's important for whatever we're creating collectively that it remain in this this uh, domain of copyleft. So I think um, um, the other thing is that interesting is the, the entire faculty, we have over 250 faculty mentors. The, None of them ask for any salary uh, for um, for sharing their knowledge with people. So that's been quite a phenomenal thing. And so the idea is that if we can create this kind of people's university with a financial model, model that is viable and, and living and really not only uh, giving us autonomy, uh, and, but also is really rebuilding kind of fra fabric of relationships that we're not relating to each other as as you know, commodities or as, as people who are trying to exploit each other. But actually we want to really share knowledge and experiences in meaningful ways. So I think that's really at the heart of what, what this is about. Um, you mentioned now something I was also wanted to kind of reflect with you on, because for us that's been really impacting here and very kind of distinct is this, um, the nature of the kind of relationship that the coaches I mean between everyone but especially mm -hmm. the kind of the atmosphere mm -hmm. that's created and and also in relation to that this issue of healing that's mm -hmm. kept coming up and I, I just wanted, wanted to comment something on that and also about um, how how have you tried and you and other facilitators to encourage this kind of different Way of relating mm. that we had um, thought about when we were starting Swaraj University was that the whole, you know, our inner world and our emotional journeys are equally as important as our intellectual journeys. And uh, but we had really no idea that there was going to be such a phenomenal space for healing that would actually take shape in, uh, in Swaraj. And so that there's all different kinds of, you know, like um, there are Kojis who have, you know, um, issues of, you know, a lot of them drunken fathers and growing up with that or sexual abuse cases or being uh, humiliated in their schools and bullied in their schools, um, uh, uh, even humiliated in their families. So there's a lot of things that people are carrying with them, which um, we've tried to use various kinds of tools and processes. And uh, I think it's just uh, the fact that also the facilitators, their, our own journeys have involved, you know, really closely looking at the moon 
emotions and the pain that we've gone through. But some of the tools we've used, there's a process called Tree of Life that we've used, and so nonviolent communication has been also very powerful. So, and, which is basically connecting to you know deep listening. So, a lot of the times people um, hear something and they jump into advice mode. And so I think we really try to create the space to. Um, let people just speak really without trying to give them advice and trying to push them in a direction. And so I think that's been uh, very, for me, one of the biggest areas of my own learning has been how to hold that healing space. And even we're, we struggle with it also, I should say, because we're, none of us are professional counselors. Uh, uh, and so when um, you know, somebody is um, on the verge of depression or uh, tells you that they're thinking of suicide or things, how do we hold that space with them and and also get in get, you know, other friends to help us in that process I think is something. And how do we when we're hearing these very, you know, powerful stories of people, you know, like finding the space also where we can take care of our families and, you know, not take it to you know into our dreams and, you know, that it come, becomes all-consuming for us also. Um, and also even when when to create the boundaries with with Kojis because sometimes it, it gets, you know, they become even very dependent on us. So it's lots of challenges with it, but it's been really interesting. I think a lot, for all the facilities, a lot of growth has happened for all of us in that, in that realm. Uh, also that we try to do a lot of things in the spirit of, you know, um, we're taking care of our basic needs together, cleaning, cooking, all of those. So that creates a lot of a very different space for them. People feel like there's some fantastic conversations. I know that uh, one of the facilitators, Sumi, has had in the kitchen. And the kitchen becomes a phenomenal healing space. And even if I remember back to my childhood visiting our village in India, my, our, my grandmother's kitchen was phenomenal healing space. I've been at this for something like 15 years uh, and when we put together the, the team for Swaraj to really um, uh, what uh, I was quite conscious that it shouldn't be my my style or my ideas only driving anything and so I really had to learn how to play step on the side to play a more supportive role to, to the core leadership team of 
people and sometimes you know uh, sometimes people might do something very different than I would have done uh, so to really be patient and hold that has been a big learning for me particularly with that side of it and um, with the Kojis as a you know the the um, holding all the range of you know um, uh, anxieties and dreams and promises and you know beauty that's within each person and the anxieties sometimes come out quite strongly and how do we really um, particularly anxieties about the future and jobs or parental pressure and things so I think that's been uh, also a lot of um, big space for me of how do you, how do you give people the space also and then when necessary also to push a little bit in different ways or provoke in different ways <coughs> so I think uh, in Swaraj my various different styles of provocation with the coaches have probably increased and developed more become more subtle and sophisticated and uh, the um, the other thing is really in the gift culture space is really being being with that space and, and really seeing how it, we keep developing new relationships and inviting different people. A lot of people who are in the, you know, um, money, very strongly embedded in the money system, and really inviting them to even look at their gifts in a very different way and connecting <coughs> with the university. I mean, a lot of the Kojis are uh, interested in so many different things that I didn't even know about, so it's been really amazing for uh, me to learn with them. One of the Kojis, Malhar, um, is really into wildlife and he's given fantastic, um, he's a, uh, also 19 years old and fantastic research into say Adri mountain range and uh, so I've learned about all kinds of things from him, sea otters and mollusks and you know, all, you know sacred groves and, and different things. So. Uh, and then helping them deepen what they're doing and uh, find new mentors. So it's expanded my range of friends and uh, uh, areas of learning. So that's been very exciting to be to learning. Some pakoras. <laughs> so, and then the Kojis also are, you know, continuously trying to develop new projects and interests. So that. Um, how those projects can take shape, uh, how they can become uh, long-term viable, how they, um, the ethics of those projects, how they um, um, continue to be projects that can support real, uh, the planet and uh, building a rebuilding of communities and things. So that's been also quite challenging. There's one of Gandhi's, his autobiography is called um, my experiments with truth. So I think that um, my own search has really been trying to understand what is what is real, what is truth, what is um, what my experiments have been. You know, really, I think um, how I mean one of them is how do we think beyond this education system and what kinds of um, you know my dream is to maybe thousands of different models that we can create. You know, if we can create 50 different kinds of toothpaste, then at least a few different thousand kinds of models and ways that, uh, that support a whole range of different 
learning, you know, and how we actually can really see this education system. I think it's one of the greatest crimes against humanity that's been cr committed. And so, uh, how do we how do we open up a um, a larger um, space for to talk about this? You know, and uh, so many people who are being branded around that. Um, and I think part of it is my own virtue within that is to. I was one of the so-called winners in that system, and so really I'm still trying to recover many things which I feel I lost when I was busy winning in that game. And so um, uh, for me, my um, you know um, challenge is really I think see I've uh, one of the things I. I think that my uh, predominant my intellect has dominated most of my uh, life and most of the things I do and um, my relationships and I've been well respected and well rewarded for that in many ways. But I think that my um, real power that I have is with the space of the heart. And uh, in some way, I've been trying over the last few years to really understand what that hard spaces, even when, I mean, uh, I, I sometimes with my feminine energies trying to awaken them. But there's something really, I, uh, uh, a very deep sense of connection I, I feel and I'm able to create a different field and I've been trying to explore what that is really. And, uh, and not to give up on the head or the intellect, but really to bring it into the right place and which is to, to um, be in the um, support of the heart and the spirit, you know, so that's what I've been trying to do. And within that, gift culture is a phenomenal space for, for that experiment to happen. Uh, this is the, the end of the first meet and the second year, and I think this is, uh, it's very interesting. There's um, a few things that we are, uh, this is one of the, um, you know, you could say the um, there's a next level of Swaraj that starts to emerge in the second year, and the first um, for a couple of meets, there's a lot of turbulence around that, um, and that turbulence is really, um, you know, connected to uh, a few things, uh, trying to um, give more concrete shape to uh, either their dreams or their skills and what it could actually look like in the world and how it, uh, um, how it, how it works both in, the, in, the, in relation to the money system, which we all are partially part of, and how, how do we keep the, on the edge of the exploration with the gift culture. Um, the, also the um, uh, Second thing is we, we see actually a, the first year is a lot of questions about community and its importance and why do we spend so much time talking about sometimes very seemingly trivial things like who should be filling the water vessel or not uh, and what's our system for that. Right? But I think there's a real um, shift that starts to happen in the second year where we actually really start to see the value of community, where we see co-learning as a being a very important part of um, uh, the journey. Um, so I think that 
the seeds are starting to happen for that. Uh, uh, and there's a, um, you know, I feel very excited about that, but it takes a little bit of uh, time. But usually we've seen in, in previous batches that it second or third meet of the second year is really something very magical. And if you ask me how it happens, I don't know. <laughs> but it, it So the approach we're trying to develop this uh, is what we call self-design learning. So um, each person basically, um, uh, as a koji, they have their own search within them. Um, and so we think that uh, they should, the, the, the whole pedagogy has to build, be built on respect of that search. So we really try to work with each person that they are able to develop their own unique learning process uh, and their own plan and their own uh, work according to the dreams that they want to um, or that they're called to work on. Um, and what's interesting in self-design is that there's sometimes a confusion, that self-design is not about just me, myself, and I. Uh, self, as I said in the meaning of Swaraj, there's a collective interdependent self. And so how that self um, is, is building relationship and community is a very important part of that process. And one of the most fantastic things is because we have people working on so many different dreams and the spaces, so they're sharing it all the time. Uh, um, people's visions of their own life actually expand phenomenally. And this is one of the great dangers of the modern university, which has kept people in, in very uh, tight compartments and disciplinary, I mean, disciplinary frameworks. So, um, you know, people who uh, are interested in uh, filmmaking uh, end up getting involved in also mud, mud brick, uh, mud house making, you know, uh, and eco-architecture. So I think the question around Swaraj is also in this approach of self-design is what is a holistic life and that we're not just working on our job or career and things, but what is our questions? Uh, the Kojis are in touch with homeschoolers and unschoolers who are also pursuing a different way of learning. Uh, so how do we see the future when we get married? How, what are we going to do with our children? There's a space to explore that. What are we eating? Uh, one of the few requirements that we have is that everybody should know how to cook a good meal uh, and feed their, you know, whoever their mentors are, their hosts, wherever they go. Uh, fantastic meal. So, um, you know, the, there's many other dimensions. And also self-design doesn't mean that there's no lectures ever or there's no this, but we, we are involved in, um, you know, more, uh, there's more space for involvement in, in, in shaping those kinds of spaces as well. I think that's been great. And we keep uncovering what this idea of self-design means. Um, one of the other core pieces of it is is um, uh, uh, doing really things that matter to you. And that, meaning, because one of the things in my own journey of school and college, I got tired of doing all kinds of bullshit activities just for a grade. Like, how is it really connecting to my community or to what my real interests are or what the things I would like, I'm concerned about on the planet. There wasn't really that connection. And so self-design is really about getting into real, authentic, meaningful things that are there. And in being in that space, getting real and authentic feedback uh, back in terms of what you're doing. So a lot of this process is getting, putting yourself out there, taking a risk, and uh, getting that space to get feedback which can really 
you know, um, sharpen your skills or your focus or your uh, knowledge around different things. We think that self-designed learning is basically inherent to who we are as human beings and that we're doing this all the time, but how much fear that is there that gets created from schooling, how much need for approval is there sometimes, how much um, uh, sense, sometimes some, some sense of competition with others, like, you know, one of the Kojis was saying, well, that person has done so many other things and I haven't done anything yet. And so there's lots of different things. Um, so we've been trying to um, evolve various mechanisms really to support people. And the biggest thing is to give them the time. I think that's what, um, in terms of young people's, what it, what maybe the biggest value that they get right away from Swaraj University is, is the time to actually detoxify themselves and to re realign to their inner compass in some way and to you know fall down and then have someone help them stand up again and say it's okay to fall down and make mistakes i think there's a one of the things that's been really you know profoundly disturbing is to how much people are afraid to make a mistake you know and that they don't then want to even take a chance or a risk and so really um they said it's a mixed bag of experiences, really, and so it's really uh, creating a system that can uh, somehow hold different people in their journeys is is a continuous experiment for us. And really, how do we see Swaraj actually as a living experiment? It's not a fixed system. It's not about getting a right program in place which will give the right information to people. But it's about this living experiment, with really being in dynamic. Uh, connection with what young people need and what their communities need. It's a false construction if we can say that, you know, we take 20 different disciplines and we add them together and we get holism. So I think that's the wrong I think it's about holism will come from when we're able to listen more deeply to what, who we are or what our inner voice is telling us and also when we're able to be in dialogue with nature in a different way, when we're able to dialogue with life and see it, that's where we'll come from. And how open we are to to engaging with different people. I think that's, uh, sometimes people think that we're very narrow, and I think we're very conscious of our own limitations and our biases. So we, we encourage, you know, Swaraj people to, luckily we have lots of different friends who are involved in this, and we encourage them to go and talk to you know, a uh, Hindu fundamentalist, or go and talk to, uh, you know, a Naxalite who believes in using violence as the only way, or go and talk to, um, you know, a, a, a spiritual guru who thinks that uh, the only work that is needed is inner work, and that will, you know, that will, that's more important than activism. So we have a range of people who just flow through our system. We don't necessarily even have to invite them. They just keep coming into our into our spaces and uh, we encourage that kind of interaction and also we encourage the Kojis to go out and meet people. We're not telling them don't talk to this person or don't talk to that person. We're saying go and actually. I, I mean I find it challenging. I I want them to go and see the corporate space also. What is it about? And there's some resistance from them on like we're not interested. I'm like go once and see for your own eyes what those spaces are. Um, uh, the other interesting thing is what we're, people, maybe our bias is that we don't put a lot of emphasis on text. And 
so some people have misinterpreted sometimes what we think in terms of like we're against books or against things. And I think that there's a, you know, it's, a, it's about finding a balance. So maybe people have been pushed all the way to text and seeing the world through textual lenses and frameworks all the time to actually kind of create a space, meaningful space, uh, where they can actually um, um, experience with their other senses, you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, and just, you know, yeah, and just be in a different space than just about being in the text. So we don't, maybe their hands and bodies to reconnect to that, or connect to, to the birds and the trees in a different way, that's also equally important. And so I think that that we put a lot of emphasis on on that and it's not that we don't believe that people shouldn't read books or listen to TEDx talks or whatever but maybe there's a there's other worlds that are possible beyond that also which they can access I'm actually deeply these days disturbed a bit by um, renewed uh, technological utopianism that is coming through uh, the internet and you know, things like uh, Coursera and uh, Udacity and different MOOCs and uh, TED TED Talks and all of those things that uh, it creates. I think uh, um, it perpetuates. I think this false sense of knowing uh, and false arrogance around that we know uh, without going out and actually experiencing in the real world, without taking risks, without connecting with other people, and uh, without opening your emotions in different kinds of ways. So I think that um, we ourselves and Swaraj are experimenting. You know, these are all possibilities out there, but uh, we haven't pushed so strongly on those things. We're again saying that our own technologies that we have, let's let's reacquaint ourselves to those things first, and then um, and then there's a place. I mean, you don't have to do much. The internet is itself, and youth culture is filled with it already. But we are we are, and I think what's interesting is one thing that I've um, now, some of the kojis have taken some of these online courses. So um, what I have been now trying to do with them is actually encourage them to uh, reclaim the power to design their own courses also. So I think that that would help also um, make it much more meaningful. So rather than consuming somebody else's, but after in the second year of their, their program, I think this idea of... Um, really taking a lot of their experiences and, and putting it in a form that, that might be useful for others to learn is a very powerful learning experience for them. For them. And also that they, they see how a course gets constructed. It's an arbitrary set of choices, you know, that, that go into that. And so that they can have that power as equally as, as anybody else. And I think that's, that demystifying, that is very important in this process. So the... University Grants Commission, uh, which is part of the government of India, has the exclusive uh, use of the word university. So nobody is allowed to use the word university without express permission from that. Uh, so we have, we see um, the idea of a um, people's university uh, as being something that uh, uh, needs its own space to develop its own auto autonomy, um, uh, its own uh, connection to different knowledge systems, which the formal university doesn't accept. 
as being a very important project. And um, we also think that this project of what is a university all about, what is it for, who is it for, who does it serve today, um, uh, what is its understanding of knowledge, and wisdom, and uh, technology, and so many of these questions, there needs to be a debate, massive debate around the country. And this has been kept in a very closed box. I don't think very many people, even in the university system, talk about it. But um, really to open that up to not only professors around, but also you know, everyday people, that really what is this, all of this money is going into the university system. And, all this power is centered there, that really what is it for? So we have um, consciously chosen to use the word university without permission. It's an illegal act. We are fully unrecognized and undeemed, as they say. Uh, we plan to print t-shirts which say that as well. Um, but it's a kind of satyagra. It's a, uh, I think that in Swaraj, the meaning of Swaraj, one of the things that Gandhi really opens up is that we need to talk about non-cooperation in much more serious ways. If we want to build a non-violent social movements around the world, then non-cooperation has to be really well thought, well articulated, um, and uh, you know, uh, uh, and actualized. You know, and so what we are uh, thinking that this is um, one form of non-cooperation. Uh, eventually as Swaraj University spreads and gets more well-known and things, we, we, event, we anticipate there to be some crackdown from the UGC, either in terms of blacklisting or, or shutting down Shikshantar, who's the host organization for it, or in terms of even maybe putting us in jail. So I think that that's what we are actually um, right now building up our base in anticipation of that that kind of showdown and that will be what that's the game we're actually trying to play on a bigger level because as this action unjust action is taken against people who are trying to work on new innovations uh, for the for the good of humanity that there'll be you know much more media attention public uproar lots of lots of interesting debates can emerge out of that so that's what, what we're trying to think in the long term of how how this idea of you know these questions about university and also these ideas about self self designed learning can spread. You know, even if it's been already amazing in three years, we have all, all, you know fifty one kojis who are connected with us. Uh, some would say only fifty one. We think it's quite a good number who have chosen that we don't care about a degree. But there are hundreds or thousands of people who've heard about the self design learning concept, and they're going ahead and doing it on their own. And so I think that's the other thing that we really want to spread is that you can. You don't need these institutions to, to take control of your learning again. You can do it and you can start creating things with your friends and uh, it can be connected to Swaraj University or it's not even necessary. You can, you can still do it and it's great. We'd support you. We've made all of our uh, decision to make all of the our tools and all of our networks, our, anybody, even if they're not in Swaraj University, we, we share them freely with those people. The dream for me is... Uh, that we really figure out a way of how to get out of this global mess that we're in. And how do we start telling a new story about what, you know, what it means to be human and, and how we, what's the purpose of our lives and how we uh, 
connect to each other in a very profound way to all life. So I think that's the, the bigger thing if Swaraj can help support that that kind of thing. And co the core of that at least is that that's only going to happen, you know, when we, uh, I, I think in, until we can reclaim, reclaim control of our own learning processes and our own knowledge systems and the day that um, we say that my illiterate grandmother's knowledge is as important as a university professor with double, triple PhDs. Um, uh, th that's my dream is that we can actually respect that these two cosmologies are equally valuable and needed for the future of humanity. If you want to find out more about the work of Manish, there are resources available in the dedicated podcast website and episode at ecoversities.org. This website also has information about other ecoversities and the work of the Ecoversities Alliance. This podcast was produced and edited by Jack Haskell. Music included Matka Mayako Angahaka, written by Kabir and performed by Shabnam Virmani and the introduction music composed and performed by Jacob Bottomus.